everybody here uh, next week. Just a note, Cindy and I, next week we're going to Florida to spend Thanksgiving with her folks. And Rob Moore, our director of missions, will speak here in the morning. And now we have our Hanging of the Green service. So I encourage you to be a part of that. And, of course, not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after that, we uh, will not have our Wednesday services. We always feel like family's getting ready for Thursday and Thanksgiving. So just be time of thankfulness on Sunday night as after the Hanging Greens we have our meal. That being said, we are moving on in our study of First Peter. We're finishing out uh, chapter 1 into the first three verses of chapter 2 this morning, talking about hope beyond divisions. And I encourage you to open your, your Bible to the book of First Peter. A little letter, and we're going to start at verse 22. As I read aloud, I ask if you'll stand in our God's honor. Pay him honor and glory. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable, imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, how good you are, Lord. Um, The Bible refers to us as a people who are hungry and a people who are thirsty and you say, I am the bread of life. You say, I am the living water. You're the one that quenches that thirst. You're the one that feeds that spiritual hunger. We just confess that we need you, Father. And you give us hope over divisions, over the time, Father, that we forget that we, Lord, belong to you. And that there is hope and we fuss. And Father, forgive us. I pray this morning as we look at this section of Scripture and as we look at Peter writing to these Christians who are going through a difficult time, he's trying to remind them what the main thing is. Too often we major on the minors and minor on the majors. And I pray this morning that as we look at your word that we'll be reminded, Father, of what matters. So speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, without you... We cannot understand the truth, and so reveal to us your truth. In Christ's name we pray, amen. One of the ancient historians was writing about Christians. How do you recognize Christians? What, what is it about a Christian that sticks out? And here's what he said, it's 
famous words we've heard through the years now. Behold how they love each other. That is what stuck out in this secular historian's mind in antiquity. And Jesus said, you know, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Sadly enough, sometimes in churches that's what they're known that's not what they're known for. They're known for their disputes or they're known for um, certain events that they have each year, but not particularly known for loving each other. Remember in John 13, Jesus is with his disciples and the God of all creation is washing their feet. What a scene. The one who should be served, and he is on his knees. He has this towel. He has this basin of water. And he's taking those old dirty feet of the disciples, and he's, he's washing them. And he says something that you don't expect. I mean, being the God of all, it, it, the obvious thing is, as he's trying to teach them, is he should say, guys, I am stooping down to wash your feet. And so you should wash my feet. You should love me. You should serve me. You should worship me. But that's not what he says. I mean, we've read it so many times, maybe we don't even notice it. But he says something really shocking. He says, wash one another's feet. And then he goes on and he comes down to verses 34 and 35 and he tells them that wonderful explanation of real love. In John thirteen thirty four and 35, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There's no... Shortcuts for love. God says no more brother bashing and sister smashing, but rather to build one another up. He doesn't say that we have to look alike. Thank God, because we're not alike. But he says we have to love alike. We don't have to necessarily look alike, but we have to love alike. Um. I've been praying for my sister and my niece and my nephew for a long time. Um, they've had different issues over the years. And my nephew, I can't even keep track of years. A number of years ago, he came in contact with some people from a Baptist church. And next thing I know, he comes to Christ and he's baptized in the church. And I'm I'm really excited but then I found out a couple of months later, he's dropped out of church. And so I had a chance to talk to him. I said, man, I am so, man, I'm just so pleased that you made a decision. Why would you leave the church? He said, they told me about a God who loved me. And I wanted that. But then when I got into church, I saw people who didn't love each other. And I didn't want to stay. Man. What a 
What a tough word. Um, we need to care about each other. We're, we're called to have a, a, a connection with each other. I, I read an article this week uh, in Breitbart News, and they had a touching story that happened in Mississippi about the Lamar County Sheriff's Department, which is near Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and two police officers were murdered at a routine traffic stop. And the officers got together. They told a family of one of the officers who was who were who were murdered was murdered. Uh, we want to adopt your family. Our call is to take care of you. And it was just some months later that his 13-year-old daughter died of an unexpected viral infection. And it was the most touching story because it showed on on the cover of this news, these two police officers who were guarding, standing guard in front of the casket as they were preparing to have a funeral in this church. And anyway, I want to read to you the words from the sheriff's department. Um, They said in a news article that the whole sheriff's department swapped out all night. And they said to guard... Uh, her body. They said it's an honor thing. It's something we felt like we had to do. It's a brotherhood. Riggle added. We all worked with him, and we just feel like he's not here to watch over his family. That's what we're here for. This brotherhood, this connection among these police officers who we know are going through a difficult time, man, more so should be in the body of Christ. It should be just more than, you know, just some religious talk and and more than than just a sermon, more than just a gathering a few times a week. But God calls us to really love each other, to to really care for each other. As you look at this group of people, it reminds me of Philippians 2, 13, 2, 3, and 4, which tells us about it's not about me, it's about giving myself. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. He says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, hey, but to the interest of others. He says, the attention shouldn't always be coming in. You shouldn't, it shouldn't always be about the attention coming in. It should be about learning to give. That, that's when the Spirit of Christ is, is at, at work in His church and among His people when, when the attention is able to move out because there's a confidence of whose we are, that we belong to Christ. As you look in 1 Peter chapter 1, as you learn about these people, in verse 1 it tells us that they were a scattered people. That means they were forced to leave the comforts of their home and their families. And they were on the run. Why? Because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I think about ISIS and I think about those Christians that, that are struggling. And, and this was when the book of First Peter was written. Man, they could relate to that. I know we've been sheltered in many ways. Verse 6, it talks about suffering. They knew suffering. They knew what it was to hurt. Verse 7, it tells us their faith was tested by fire. There was a cost for following Christ 
an obvious cost. It might cost them their lives. And they also, many struggled with the temptations. Just like many struggle today with the temptations. Look what it says in verse 14. He makes mention of this. He says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. He said, I know there are certain things that you just want. Man, I just want to, I just want that. But it's not God's way. And so there was a struggle there that they faced as well. And in verse 22, he brings all that together. And he says, guys, I want you to pull together. I want you to love each other in Christ and to be on mission for Christ. And in verse 22, we see several truths here about pulling together. They're critical. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. So he talks about there is an obedience to the truth. You know, as as the scripture says, um, that we don't love merely with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. It's a matter of putting overalls on with our faith. And, and, and our faith being our lives, being the way that we live. It's an obedience, and that leads to purity. It leads to us being set apart. It leads to us belonging to Jesus and where other people can see that we belong to Jesus. And that also means a lack of hypocrisy. There's a real sincere love, a real sincerity of heart. It's not a game. It's not something you just pretend for a few hours a week. It's who you really are as God begins to change you. It's interesting too. And There's two different words, Greek words, translated love in this verse. The first one, he says um, that you have sincere love for your brothers is the word phileo, which means affection. It means, you know, we do stuff together. We... Some of us bowl together, you know, on Monday night. Or or some of us meet for a meeting and we may pray together. We eat together. We meet together. There's just an effect. We like to be together. There's a camaraderie. There, there's an, a natural affection, a natural affinity. That's the first word here. We get along. That's why we part of why we're part of this fellowship. There's a connection. But the second word is not phileo. The second word is agape. He says... Um, so that your sincere affection for your brothers agape one another deeply from the heart. It's good to have fun together. It's good to care about each other. But this is talking about a sacrificial, sometimes not easy kind of love. Sometimes telling the truth when it's a little uncomfortable. Sometimes reaching out to that person when it's not convenient and loving them. That that kind of love is is what is necessary and what is Needed. And we have to ask ourselves that question. um, Are we willing to let God work in us to be vulnerable for that? Four reminders uh, that we belong together. First, uh, 
we're together because we've been born into his family. And we share the same father, heavenly father. First part of verse 23, he tells us, for you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. When a baby is conceived, it begins to grow and to be formed in the womb. It says in Psalm 139, I praise you because I am carefully and wonderfully knit together in my mother's womb. There's that process of being prepared to come out and to enter into the world. It's like, wow, look at this. And, and God, he works in the hearts of people. And, and it's his work. I mean, we, I love apologetics. I love the idea of why do we believe what we believe and think it through. And there's that intellectual part that, that's valuable. It's good. It's important. But the truth of the matter is, it's not enough just to convince somebody. They must be convicted. And that's not something that comes from you or me. That's something ultimately that comes from God. Because convictions from the Spirit of God that makes us aware of the fact that, man, we're sinners. We have heart issue and we need forgiveness. And that's what the gospel is about. That we need Jesus Christ to forgive us and to transform us and to change us. So where convincing is important, ultimately it leads in conviction. And that conviction is what makes that change And guys, we all come in the same way. We're all born, and we're all born again into the family of God. If you're not born again, then you're not truly a part of the family of God. And there's where that heart checkup is necessary. The question to ask, am I really born again? Has has God really entered my heart? Have Have I made the connection that I need a Savior to rescue me from this condition that I'm in? I love John 1, 12, and 13. It says, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then he goes on verse 13. He says, Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Born of God. So we're born into the family, and then we're born again into God's family. And I love Colossians 2, 6, and 7. It tells us, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus, how would you receive Him? Well, I had nothing to give. I just came receiving His gift of forgiveness and grace. That's how we received Him. He says, So then, just as you received Him, continue to live in Him. We're to continue to live in Him. How's we received Him? Aware of His grace. Aware of His forgiveness. Then he says, Rooted and built up in Him. And overflowing with thankfulness. Hey, that's what it's about. Is We remember that we were saved by His grace. And then we need to look around and grace others. Remembering His beautiful work. Second, we take our instruction from the same source. Look at the last part of verse 23. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and the enduring Word of God. There is truth in here, and there's Scripture in here that is God speaking. 
It is his word. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scriptures God breathed. It, It literally comes forth from God himself. So when we read this, we hear God's mind. We hear God's words. But it's not enough just to be convinced. God must teach us that truth by His Holy Spirit. That conviction must be present. Our job is to relay that word. God's job is to make it come alive in that person. Isaiah fifty-five eleven. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The Word coupled with the Spirit that transformed the life. All right, third, he tells us we have our struggles in the same realm in this place. There's struggle. And we need to be aware of that as we seek to be united and to not be divided so that people see Jesus. Look at verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves... Take these off. Get rid of these. And and what are they? Here's the list of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. That word malice means wickedness. It is the idea of simply trying to rip somebody else apart. Often with your words. It is just an attack to tear apart the reputation of another person. And he says to get rid of all deceit. That means two-facedness. Quit having an agenda other than what you appear to have. Be real. Be genuine. Get rid of that. He says get rid of envy. And envy is resentment that is followed, that is nursed and rehearsed, as I like to say. And then he says to get rid of slander, which is a word that means evil speaking. It's it's a connection there as we have malice and as we have slander, this wickedness is tearing apart other people. He says that is not to mark us as believers. And then the last one here, we're to focus our attention on the same objective. Look here at 2 and 3. He says, like newborn babies, say you start out as babies, but you to grow up, grow up in your faith. He says, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. What do we need to do? We need to remember God's goodness. That was poured out to us, guys. I don't mean just a drip. It was poured out to us. It, it, it was poured out without any restriction. God's love. And, and that love needs to be remembered. And it needs to be poured out to others. And uh, May God just give us a hard look around a little bit. We, we need to share Jesus. There needs to be that evangelism. And, and I hope you have. I, I hope some of you guys set your your watches or your phones. I know I did last week. I said, you know, take the one minute at 1 o'clock to ask God 
to lead you to one person. One minute at one o'clock to pray that God will lead you to one person. And that he will give you words to say. And we know that's Jesus. You know, so often we say, well, I, I got to, you know, I'm, I'm called to share. But I don't know who to share with. Well, I mean, I know this sounds like a real deep truth, but ask God. One minute, one o'clock, one person to share with about Christ. There's that. that that's, that's, that's pivotal. That, that's important. But we also need to look around here. Maybe it's people you see and you just want to encourage them. Give them a call. Or, or maybe people you, you don't see today, maybe give them a call and say, man, I miss you today, I didn't see you. Encourage them, let them know you love them. Uh, pray for them, be that connection. Uh, I close with a story of, uh, you know, me and my podcast. I listened to folks on the family podcast on Veterans Day. And uh, they had a testimony from Dave Reaver. Some of you guys may have heard Dave Reaver. He's been around a long time. He's actually 68 years old now. I'm like, wow, really? But Dave has been working for a long time with uh, wounded soldiers. And he tells the story of God's healing. And I, I think it I, I think it connects to us. Uh, he, he said when he was 20 years old, he... And his wife of 18, they were all excited. Dave was drafted, ended up going to Vietnam, and uh, ended up being in special forces. He ended up a Navy SEAL. And while he was serving in a very dangerous place, uh, there was a, a horrible occurrence that caused his grenade to go off. And he was on fire. And literally it burned over 50% of his body. And he wanted to die. He thought he was going to die, but he didn't die. And he ended up in a hospital. Then he ended up being flown back to the States. And he said he remembered laying in the hospital bed thinking, oh, man. This literally, the grenade had blown off half of his face. He, He no longer has a nose, no longer has an ear. And he's just a big lump of scar tissue. And uh, anyway, he laid in bed, and he thought, I just want to die. So he started pulling out tubes and, you know, and IVs and thinking, I just want to die. But he didn't die. And then he looked. There was a guy next to him that was burned almost his entire body. And he said, nobody survives in that particular burn unit that are burned that severely. And he said he remembered that uh, the guy next to him, his wife, came in the room. And she walked over to him and saw how badly burned he was, took off her wedding ring, threw it on the bed, and said, you're just disgusting, and walked out of the room. And Dave said at that moment, his heart broke. And he thought, is that what is going to happen to me? And all he could think of was when his wife arrived, she would reject him. 
And he just couldn't deal with it. It was just too much. He said, you know, every guy, every person has their breaking point. And that was my breaking point. He said, guys, that was even worse than when I first realized I was on fire. When I first realized what had happened to me with that grenade, it was even worse to think that my wife would reject me, that she would walk out on me. And he said, she walked in, she took off her wedding ring, and I thought, oh, here it comes. (laughs) And she said, I made a vow to you. To love you and to be with you till death do us part and I'm not going anywhere, Dave. And she came over, leaned over the bed and kissed his face where uh, there was still some skin. And he said, I knew at that moment I could live. And he said, even 68 years old, he said, all this time, even this day, she has taken care of me because there are things I just physically can't do. And even though he's healed, he's got some restrictions. He's got some limitations. So that's the first sign of, of love I'm talking about here. Love for other people. Love between a husband and a wife. You know, not, not just the affection, phileo kind of love, the agape kind of love, where the convenience um, is not always there. And and then he said there was a second time where love was made clear. He said he had decided that um, he wanted to go to the place in Vietnam where all this happened. And so he said he took the the best negotiator he could think of, which was uh, several hundred dollar bills. He said they speak really loudly in Vietnam. (laughs) And he said he went uh, with his son and a small camera crew because they wanted to to film and talk about the experience he said they found this guy who was to be a guide he said he reached in his pocket he took out two one hundred dollar bills and said can you find this place and the guy's like yeah i can do it he said he found out later that two hundred dollar bills was a year's salary so yeah he was excited to do it for a year's salary so they go, his son, Dave, small crew, and this guy. They managed, What they didn't realize was the uh, communist uh, secret service was trailing them. and By God's grace, they managed to escape and get away from them. And then they came to the, uh, the place. The guy managed to find it. And, uh, Dave got out. They got out with their cameras. and Dave began remembering, recounting what had happened. And then he said, that's where I I was when the grenade went off. And before this guy knew it, he said, and that's where the helicopter landed, right over there. And then he realized he had been revealed. That guy had been there. And then Dave said he could see the terror in his face. You know, here I am, the one Vietnamese, and with all these Americans, what are they going to do to me? And Dave said he walked toward him. He said, sure, the guy could look at him. and See, there had to be a lot of pain just from the scarring over his body. And Dave said he reached out to him and embraced him. And they both just sobbed and cried. And there was forgiveness. And there was reconciliation. And Dave went on to say, 
He said, you know, as he saw me, as I headed toward him with my obvious scars, and he thought there, there will be retribution because of these scars, but instead there was reconciliation because the one with the scars came toward the one who had a part in the scarring and forgave. And then he went on and he said, you know, that's the gospel. That's Christ. Those of us who have brought the pain, those of us who have sinned and God who was scarred for us came with his embrace. This is how we're to live and, and this is how we're to love. We're not called to look alike, but we're called to love alike. And that's the love of Christ. And so, uh, guys, as I close, I, I just thought, what a great illustration of uh, the gospel in action. When we become enchanted by the differences we have and the offenses, sometimes we hurt each other. May we look deeply at the cross. And may we look even closer at scars. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the power of your word. And uh, Lord, uh, every child of God started out fighting against you, causing pain. For each of us, Lord, are responsible for the cross, for it's our sin that took our Lord to the cross. But Father, uh, the scarring, Lord, did not bring your wrath upon us, but took your wrath away. Father, I pray this morning, if there be one here who has not returned that embrace that you want to give, that hug that says you're forgiven, says it was handled at Calvary, just turn to me and find not just uh, affection, but deep love that gives. Father, may anyone here who wants to receive that love do that now. Just say, forgive me a sinner. Enter my heart. Make me you. Father, maybe there's someone here and it's time to show that picture of that in obedience by baptism, which is to come before God's people in obedience to you and say, I've been saved. I've embraced the one who embraces us in his grace, Jesus Christ. But I need to make that public. I, I need to go under the water and die that picture of death to self and come out of the water alive in Christ to, to, to say a testimony and picture that Jesus is my Savior, my Lord. I pray if there's one here and it's time for that, today's a day. Make that commitment and follow through. Father, maybe there's some here and, Father, they are hurt. And they've been holding on to that hurt. Now's the time to remember Jesus, who was hurt, but chose to embrace, to forgive, to go to the cross. Father, give strength by the power of your conviction for us to follow, to forgive. And Father, maybe we're the ones causing pain. Now's the time to stop that too. 
you died for us so that you might live in us. My prayer is that our church, Father Jesus, might be here and that you might be clearly seen among us for you provide hope over division. So have your way, Father. Bring those to the altar who need to pray, those to the front who need to make public decisions. Bring decisions right where we are if that's your call. But may we decide what you convict us of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.